Greetings and welcome to Cool Radio Stories, a podcast for independent radio stations in small to medium-sized markets. Presented by Cool Radio Streaming. Now here's your host, Tom Dobrez. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm Tom Dobrez, owner of Cool Radio Streaming. With us today is a broadcaster that describes himself as the conductor of Little Engine Broadcasting privately held radio broadcasting concern operating in Montgomery, Alabama. He's also had previous stints with Cumulus and at the time Clear Channel, now of course iHeartRadio. So let's welcome Terry Barber. Terry, thanks for joining us. Hey Tom, thanks for getting in touch with me. This sounds like fun. Yeah, it should be. In fact, we're uh, really looking forward to hearing your cool radio story. First, I'll make a few programming notes for our listeners before we begin. I'd like to remind you that we're recording this during the COVID-19 crisis. That's obviously had a tremendous impact on businesses, radio not excluded. And though we're beginning to see some of the economy reopen with some positive signs, it's still a big state of unknown. And we're going to hear Terry's thoughts on the coronavirus and its impact on his business. But we're going to sort of table that towards the end of our show. I also want to inform you, the listener, that uh, we'll hear from attorney John Garziglia with our Ask John segment. I'm going to ask John about some pressing legal matters in the radio world, and then we'll check in at the end of the show with John Wenzung of Radio Max for some insight on going digital with radio in a segment we call Digging Into Digital. But first things first, Terry, let's start at the beginning. Always curious to hear the answer to this question. I start all interviews off. What was your radio job number one? February 10th. A Saturday morning, 1979, Newton, Mississippi. I rode my bicycle to the radio station because I didn't have a driver's license and I had to get there. And uh, back in that day, I got hired on uh, by a guy named Larry Fuss, who's a broadcaster I still know today and talk to him actually today. And um, he had a small radio station there in Newton, Mississippi. And I needed a job. Quite honestly, I got into the business for kind of strange reasons. I got in it for the job part of it. Uh, in my little hometown, the, the ritual of young boys was uh, when you got to be 14 year, years of age, you could go work at the grocery store and you could be a bagger. And you had at that time those little stamping guns and box cutters and pretty cool stuff. And so I was waiting for that ritual to pass. So I had a birthday in December. I applied for the grocery store in January, waited several weeks, nothing came back. My mom followed up and it was Miss Barber. You know, we appreciate your business, blah, blah, blah. Your son's just too little. He's not going to make it for this job or whatever. So I got dejected, got thrown out. My career, you know, was pretty clear that would that was the beginning of where I would start my, you know, journey through life or whatever. And I got derailed right off the bat. And a friend of mine said, hey, you know, they're looking for somebody at the radio station. The guy who works there is graduating high school and will go on into the military and they lead somebody. So Anyway, I ended up down there talking to Larry. He offered me the job. My job was to change tapes on the old TM Century uh, job and to be there. And so I started off doing that and did that for a couple of years. Uh, later, after a few months, they did trust me to record, record the weather and the birthday club. So that was my uh, first venture onto the radio was recording the birthday club and the weather. 
and kind of grew from there. So I re- but I remember it clearly. It was a Saturday, February 10th, 1979. The first song that came out of the automation system as we signed on at six o'clock was Fire by the Pointer Sisters. Indeed. Well, first off, that's quite a story. And I, um, I've asked that question at the beginning of every podcast, but I do believe you're the first guy ever to know the exact date. Oh, I <laughs> remember like it was yesterday. I don't remember what I did yesterday, but I remember that story as if it were yesterday. Yeah, too tiny to, to be a bagger. Yeah, I grew, I in, I grew into that. I, I, let me tell you this real quick because I'm sitting in my office. I will tell you this very quick story because I can look at this. Is um, back in those days, you know, you still had to go take the test to get a third class. Well, when you started to work, you got kind of a learner's permit that would give you what was called a provisional radio operator certificate. And uh, so in the process of when I started, I got that. And then I never had to take the test because by the time... Uh, my year was up. They did away with the test, and I got this nice little rubber stamp job. But I will say, bring up being small, it had me at five foot three and one hundred and fifteen pounds. Uh, I've uh, overachieved in that department over the last forty years. <laughs> That's experience. That's life experience being added on, right? Uh, I do remember those licenses. I had to get one myself in, in high school radio station, and uh, our uh, the teacher was very adamant that nobody got to talk into that microphone without one. <laughs> uh, things have changed indeed. So uh, you've progressed from Newton, Mississippi, ended up working with a couple of the larger radio concerns in America. Um, and then that kind of, uh, but all been kind of Southern based, right? Mississippi and Alabama, as far as uh, your radio career. Oh, I had one, one other thing to interject. Yes, that's true. Because I, I went from high school to college, ended up at Mississippi State University, uh, worked for WKOR in Startful. Chuck Cooper, a longtime broadcaster, was one of the owners of the station. And after I graduated, uh, I did decide to get a marketing degree in college because I didn't want to get a communications degree because I figured I knew everything, which was a, a, one of my many mistakes there. But I got a marketing degree and I graduated, got married in, in college and graduated. And as soon as I graduated, I was ready to leave Starkville and Mississippi behind. And my wife and I, we've been married about a year I said, honey, we're moving to Orlando, Florida. She said, Orlando, Florida. I said, yeah. She says, why? I said, look here, Money Magazine, top five places to live and grow. And and Orlando was one of them. So we literally, like Uncle Jed, loaded up the truck and moved to to Orlando. And because I just knew at that point I had been doing radio for six or seven years. I mean, I started in Newton and went to Meridian and Jackson and Starkville. I had all the big places under my belt. I was ready, obviously, to move to Orlando. But I wanted to get in sales because I knew that that's what I had kind of wanted to move to the sales side of it. And I got thrown out of every radio company. And back in those days, there were probably eight or 10 companies still around. You know, I remember a guy named Harvey Tate. Harvey Tate managed a station, I think it was called the Joy or Joy 108 or something like that. They were the big new deal in Orlando. He did spend some time with me and he basically said, why don't you like go up to Sanford, Florida or something like get some get some experience somewhere. And I was really dejected. And and that was there was a period of over my 40 year career. There was only a period of about nine months that I didn't work in a radio station. And that was there. I could not get hired or even a good interview in Orlando. Uh, And now I would bet that anybody who can fog a mirror can at least get an interview in in New York. You know, everybody's looking for people. So that was back in the day. But um, that was uh, how uh, the places I'd worked, but so, but most of my stuff has been in 
in, in Mississippi or Alabama. I, I was in Mississippi for a bunch of years, but I came to Montgomery in 1999, right after Cumulus had formed. I'd been in the television business a little bit in Tupelo, Mississippi, working for a big station up there. And uh, a friend of mine said, hey, there's this new company called Cumulus. And uh, they're, they're getting together and they need people. And so got a Peter Remington. I talked to him and he said, look, you, you sound like a good candidate. Again, they were looking for people who could fog mirrors. I mean, I don't think they looked very deep into my past. They just wanted people. And he said, you can go either to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which I knew pretty well, or you can go to Montgomery, Alabama. And of course, I said, which one pays more? And he said, there's a little bit larger market in Montgomery. So moved the family here in, in 99, worked for Cumulus for about a year and a half, or as we like to think of as six quarters, because I learned what the quarter system was working for a publicly traded company. And at that time, that company had a lot of challenges because it was just trying to find its place. And, you know, you'd spend all your time trying to hit the revenue number, then you'd have all these conference calls that led to another conference call. And it, it just wasn't the right culture. And I wasn't particularly, I guess, the right person for that job. And so they asked me to take my job somewhere else. And I did short stint at the TV station here with the ABC station. And then I went to, to Birmingham and worked for Clear Channel as their director of sales in a pretty big operation there in Birmingham, Alabama. All right. So you got the, the start in the smallest communities as you can, but to you at the time, yeah. they were the big boys, right? Yes. And that was going to be your ticket out to a big rated market of Orlando that didn't pan out, return to Alabama. And then you work with uh, what really amounted to a couple of the bigger uh, corporations that ended up being in radio. And that led you um, subsequently to Little Engine Broadcast. There was a little, there was a in between. So I left, I was in in, um, in Birmingham at Clear Channel, which is now iHeart. And I was commuting. There's about an hour and a half drive from Montgomery to Birmingham. And I never could quite get our house sold here. So at some point I decided I had a young family that I would just drive back and forth. And it was really taxing. And um, they said, hey, would you like to work out of our Montgomery office? So I spent some time working out of the Montgomery uh, Clear Channel office, and everything was quite well. Things were going good, had good products, and things were going good. And a guy called me and said, hey, we just bought some stations here in Montgomery, uh, and we're not from here, and we're starting a company called Blue Water Broadcasting, and we, we want you to come on board with us to, to run this. And so I, I met them at a, a local deli for lunch, had a chicken salad sandwich, and told them that I would quit my job and come work for them. So I, I have a lot of well thought through processes that I've done. So I did that, and we worked together for about 12 years. Ended up uh, the last five years or so, I bought into the company in an equity position. So I was fortunate to work for a tiny company and then work for two of the largest companies. And then our company here was pretty decent-sized operation. And then I left there in 2015 and uh, started Little Engine Broadcasting, which uh, it's just me and the bank. Uh, there's nobody else I can can blame. So it's uh, that's that's where I am now with this little company. We, we call ourselves Little Engine Broadcasting. Um, people said, that's a pretty cool name, Little Engine, like the little engine that could. Yeah, and they said, well, you must like trains. I'm like, no, you know, it just kind of came to me one day as an idea. And I thought, you know, I will play on the idea that I'm the little guy. I think people like to cheer for the underdog or the little guy. And so I started this idea of little engine broadcasting and it's, it's worked pretty good. We're now about five years into this. Yeah. Well, good for you. And that's, uh, I was going, you took the question right out of my mouth of how you came up with the little engine. Certainly sounds like a, uh, a logical theme there. 
Uh, now let's let's talk a little bit about this the company and the Montgomery, Alabama. So you have uh, three radio brands there now on the market. We do. We uh, we we own a couple of AMs. We've got a couple of translators that we have, and then we have a deal with another broadcaster where we have one of their HD channels that goes on to uh, a third translator. So we're kind of and I, I'll tell you what, just to kind of back up for a second, when I first got involved with the company before. When, when they moved into Montgomery in 2004, roughly about $18 million they paid for this cluster in Montgomery, which was uh, at that time um, two or three FMs and AM, that kind of deal or whatever. It was at the top when, when it was about an 18-time cash flow multiple. And if I would have known then that you could do what you can do now with translators, I mean, I'm in at uh, pennies on a dollar compared to that. Uh, so that's what we have here with the three brands. And it's, it's you know, we're, we have some, some deficiencies and we have some areas that we have to overcome at time. But from the capital standpoint, when you can get in for, like I say, pennies on a dollar compared to what other people are in for, it, it changes the game considerably. So let's break that down a little bit. I think our listeners might be curious as to hear specifically what you're doing with the translators. So you have AM licenses, but FM translators? I do. I have, I have two AM licenses. And then the other one, I have a, 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 you can call them several names for the deal, but I have a deal where I, I lease an HD channel from another broadcaster in the area and put it on a third translator. So there are three different translator brands that we have. And the niche that we found, uh, we have two gospels. Uh, in fact, I tell my mom, my mom hates when I say this, I have two gospel stations and a heathen station. <laughs> so we have, a, we have a southern gospel, which is kind of the country, you know, the, the Gaither kind of country. We have a black gospel, traditional, mostly the choirs and quartets. And then we have a classic hit station, the 70s and 80s. So with the translators, it, I, I don't think you can go head to head you know, with, as a direct competitor. You have to have a niche. And so uh, there's no other Southern Gospel in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, we're really the only classic hit station. There's a couple of hot ACs, but we're the only, say, true classic hits. And then uh, iHeart has a really big black gospel station. But we do focus, you know, as they have done some of their reductions in forces and repositioning and pulled all their people out of the markets, we have local disc jockeys. We have actually people who come in and are here and take requests and we play some regional stuff. So with the translators, I think it's very important that you find a niche because you do have your Achilles heel basically is, you know, your coverage area. Uh, what's beautiful about a Montgomery, Alabama is uh, we're our particular tower that we lease our space on as long, as well as several other broadcasters in town, where it is when you drive 20 miles beyond it in any direction, you're basically broadcasting the cows. So, you know, the translator covers of the 300,000 people, we probably cover 200, 250,000 of those people are in our, in our area. So there's not a lot of waste. And of course, you know, you go 40, 50 miles away, there's another community. So if you have a big class C, you can be in those big areas. But what I have seen over the last 10, 15 years is where you'd have a, for, for example, one of the stations that we had in this other company I worked with was WBAM. They called it the Big Bam, this big country station or whatever, huge area. For a while, we got business from all these outlying areas, but that seemed to go away and you ended up concentrating 
just on the same geographic area that I co cover with my translator. So it's a, it's a lot more economical. I'll also tell you that my power bill used to be thousands of dollars. Now it's hundreds of dollars. So the scale is a lot different. Yeah, I think that was going to be, you know, a, a interest because when you have translators, that tends to be spotty coverage, right? And, and that's sort of the downside of them. But you're talking about a geographic area, very flat, I presume. And you can yeah. broadcast uh, large swaths of people. That's a high percentage of the people in that community. So that's obviously very important. We use translators in Colorado, mostly on FM sticks, to um, mainly because of the mountains. It's very difficult to put signals over them. You know, and a lot of the communities are in valleys. And so translators become very important just to get over one mountain pass into another valley, even though it's you know, maybe just uh, 10, 15 miles down the road, it's very hard to get a signal uh, into that. But that's interesting. I know that's been kind of a trend now with uh, AMs across the country going to the FM translator route, and it seems like you really made a success of it. Well, I will, I will say this. I, th these, these two AMs that I own, one of the AMs that I bought, uh, there was a man named George Buck who owns several AM stations, kind of the southeast, big markets, much larger than Montgomery, but he had passed probably three or four years before uh, I bought the station, this station was headed to being turned off. And if it would remain just an AM station, it would have been turned off by now because it just, it's just not viable. The, the translators have really kept AMs going. It, it, it makes it, you know, well, I, but I do also have, you know, we, I know when the AM goes off, because I'll have a little old lady calling me because that's, you know, I say, well, ma'am, you know, you can catch it over here because we're doing some maintenance or whatever. She's stuck on AM 800. And so because it's been here for 75 years. So the translators have prolonged this life of AM. And, uh, you know, it's we're not out of the woods yet, but translators have certainly helped. But it's also a risky thing. I mean, we, we, we're in a situation where um, we're not protected. You know, uh, the, the frequency I'm on, if, if we got some kind of a complaint. I'd have to shut it down. I know, you, I know if you kept up with the ruling that came down last year from the FCC that used to be you had a procedure where you, you know, you, you, you went to this you know, discovery and things like that, that everything kind of worked out. Well, now my interpretation is that, you know, Tom, if you've got a station on the same frequency with me, you're the you're you're a full power station. And, you know, within this window or whatever, and there's a problem, I have to shut it off until we fix it. And so that could take months. You know, and in the and in the reality of the marketplace, I, I can't be off the air for months. So it's 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 risky too. There's there's a trade off for that. Yeah, so sticking to the technology side of things, do you uh, provide uh, the signal other ways? Are you streaming? Do you have oh, a mobile yeah. app? Um, you know, just sort of another fail safe way to distribute your audio content. Oh, absolutely. We we stream. Uh, we have apps. Uh, we have we have uh, and in. We're able to watch them and monitor them, uh, especially when we do local sports and things like that. You can really see the subscribers on your apps. The, the, the users are jumping up there. But we do that because um, that's also what's interesting. I can take my little 1,000-watt AM station and compare it to the full C 100,000-watt station. And funny thing is, when I, when I have my Alexa uh, play it, they sound the same. You know, so it's like, you know, I, it's the, the, the technology we have now it's a big leveling of the playing field. And, and that would scare me if I had millions of dollars invested into licenses and equipment. And here's somebody who has fractions of that. So <clears throat> most definitely we use the technology. And we were early adopters to that. We, we knew that we had to be. Uh, we've really uh, 
uh, my background, you know, over 40 years of work with some really good people and picked up some really good things. And just because we're a small <clears throat> mom and pop, and I guess just pop in this instance or whatever, we're, we're, we're going to be as professional. I can be as professional as fill in the blank. It's my choice. Um, I, I might not can afford the, the, the latest Omnia processors, you know, or something like that that somebody's got, but I can certainly, there, there's a, a line in the Stevie Wonder song about, I think it's living for the city where he talks about his sister that she, you know, her, her legs were sturdy and she, her clothes were, were old, but they were never dirty. You know, we can have equipment that's not as new as somebody else's, but we can be clean and we can look good and we can put together a good product. And most importantly, I think we serve our community. We, we get out there and, 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 and we're local. That's, that's, that's my advantage I find as well. Well, that is kind of where I'd like to go next with this conversation is into how you connect locally with your community. But first, we're going to take a short break uh, to hear from John Garziglia to uh, discuss a legal matter in the radio industry. And then we will return to continue the cool radio story of Terry Barber. It's time to ask John, a regular feature where we ask John Garziglia, a partner with the FCC law firm Womble, Carlisle, Sandridge and Rice, about legal matters facing the broadcast radio industry. Today, the email bag question for John Garziglia concerns contesting on websites or social media entities. Uh, John, is there a difference between a contest that runs on the air or uh, on online or both? Well, the FCC's rules cover on-air contests. If a contest is not promoted on the air, but only run on a station's website or other over, over other social media, then the FCC's contesting rules don't apply. Now, the FCC did change in 2015 its requirements for reading complete contest rules over the air. You might remember a time when at least once a day uh, the complete set of rules had to be read. Well, now complete contest rules may be disclosed either over the air, same as before, or on an internet website. But please remember, the FCC has not backed off on its requirements that any station-conducted contest promoted or advertised over the air must have its rules fully and accurately disclosed, must conduct the contest substantially as advertised, and the descriptions of the contest must not be false, misleading, or deceptive. Uh, if the FCC's Enforcement Bureau pursues a station for not conducting a contest in accord with the rules or promoting a contest in a false or misleading way, we expect to spend ten, tens of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees, with the likelihood the station, if unsuccessful in defending itself, will also be liable for a substantial FCC fine. I'd say to watch out in particular for overzealous radio personalities to the extent they exist live on the air anymore. Short-circuiting a contest description or over-promoting are both uh, things that should be watched for. A statement such as we could, we could be giving away $1,000 in the next few minutes if the station's not going to give away that money or attempt to give it away until the next day could be deceiving. The statement that we're going to give away more than $10 million when there are perhaps 200 radio stations nationwide as part of the uh, radio station chain who are giving the money away could be misleading. And finally, uh, uh, needless to say, a statement such as you could win the keys to a brand new Corvette, while it's cute, would be uh, looked upon adversely by the FCC. We're back listening to the cool radio story of Terry Barber. 
Terry was just uh, getting into how he connects to his local community. And so let's talk about that, Terry. What is more or less the philosophy of approaching and taking the radio station and connecting it to your community? I think it starts at the top. I mean, I, I am uh, I'm a Rotarian. I'm very involved in my Rotary Club, involved in my church. I'm involved. My kids were a little younger. I was involved in youth sports. Um, I have a connection. You know, Montgomery, although it, it's a larger, you know, if that's a decent size of population it's just a big small town where people do business with people they know so it starts at the top with me being involved in the community the political process the getting out and being seen and 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 uh you know we here recently you mentioned covid and all the things we've been going through there have been a lot of community drives where food has been handed out and things like that we're involved with that on the front line if it's you know if, if i'm not out there then, then then our people are out there and being seen and and uh, I, my, my worry is that as these larger companies have uh, pretty much just gutted their staff on a local basis, that hurts me as well, because those were the people that were out, you know, they had four or five vans out on a Saturday doing remotes and stuff. When people stop seeing radio being visible, that hurts all of us. So, you know, it, I really, yeah, does it bother me that maybe they have less salespeople calling on people that we call. Yeah, I'm okay with that. But not being able to support the brand of radio makes it difficult. But we have to get out there. We, we do, uh, we're about to roll into hopefully in the high school football next month. We're visible at that. Uh, uh, we have a big state fair. We're visible at that. And we look big. I mean, you know, we may be the small guy, but we're there and we have a presence. All right. So, uh, you're broadcasting uh, one of the broad high school football games live, or do you, or do, you do this? Three. We have three different each brand, and and so that that's big. We're um, thinking just through our market. There's another the sports station in town uh, carries part of a, a season for one of the teams, but basically we're it. We and, and we and no one was doing that before. So with, with these little AMs and with these translators, you know, we've been able to bring this into a community. And uh, and they count on it. I mean, I, I've got people that will be calling me in the next month saying, "You carrying the Wetumpka game next?" Yes, ma'am. I've got that, and, and so it's it's important in our communities, and that's what translators have brought into it. You know, we, you would not have been able to listen on my AM daytimer. You wouldn't hear it across town at night, given all the problems that we have in the atmosphere and all the electronics and stuff. But with the FM translator, that has really boosted the local community events. We, we do a lot of things. Um, we just had last week a runoff election that was postponed because of COVID that was from a primary back in early March. And uh, we do we bring the candidates in. And we ask questions and, and we connect. And, and I think that those are the things that, uh, that all broadcasters should be doing. You know, I, my, I can't tell you why my competitors don't do it, but I know why I do it. And that's to be important and relevant in our community. And um, it, it, it takes a lot of work. Well, it does take a lot of work. Also, it tends to take people to do that work. Let's talk about that aspect of uh, your operation and, and really also your experience going back, you know, now a couple of decades in the radio industry, many different markets. At one time, I know you've had dozens of people uh, working uh, uh, with you and under you. And so my question is, the hiring process, how do you go through it? And, you know, what do you, how do you keep people? I'll tell you this as a side, just to get started. When my job in Birmingham was the director of sales, I had four different sales managers that worked under me. They were 
no kidding, at one time, 35 to 40 salespeople. Um, the philosophy at that time, John Hogan, I think, was the, 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 the one who was leading the charge. And I think his deal was put butts in seats. The more butts we have in seats, the better. So you basically had to fill those seats. And I spent all my time hiring and firing people. I could have been a furniture manufacturer HR person. All I did was I didn't do any radio. We just hired and fired people. And so that was very difficult. I remembered that about having this. And so I really don't like just to put numbers together. But in our little situation here, um, we have, I currently have one full-time person. I've really utilized a lot of part-time people and tracking and stuff like that. Um, the, um, the disc jockeys I mentioned that are on my black gospel station, uh, the guy who's on in the morning, uh, also pastors a church, it's called bivocational where they have a two different jobs or whatever. And so he's there. I've got a, a lady in midday, uh, up until, uh, last several months ago, she worked for the state of Alabama in one of the departments there. So she had a day job, afternoon guy, everybody has something else going on. So I've been able to put together a staff of people using part-time people. We do some voice tracking on the classic hit station with uh, my midday guy on the classic hit station is the assistant TV station manager across town. Comes in in the morning, cuts his shift, goes over there, enjoys picking up a few extra hundred bucks and being on the radio. The only full-time person I have right now um, is my son, who is my operations manager. And he really, um, he grew up in the business because of me, but never really, to my knowledge, aspired to, uh, to be in the radio business. And he'd been in the retail grocery business for about 10 years, uh, last several years and as an assistant manager. And he and I just got to talking one day and I told him I need some help. And, uh, you know, I was just doing everything myself, uh, do a lot of sales and, and the operations side of it. And I said, Hey, I need somebody to, to bring on board, but I just can't seem to find the right person. He said, what about me? And, you know, not to, not to give a long story, but we ended up him coming on board about a year ago as my operations manager. And that's been a good fit. I've never really liked that. I've never really liked the idea of, of family together. That's really a, there's a whole lot. I, I've always had the, the, the mantra of, hey, you can't hire somebody you can't fire. I always think about that. When I, before I hire you, can I fire you? And uh, I hope I never have to fire my son. He may fire me one day, but, but I hope I never have to fire him. But I, I got to say, yeah, I could do that under the right circumstances. So uh, our staff is small. Uh, I do um, probably 70 to 80% of the sales. I do have a couple of people that are part-time salespeople. So we've cobbled together all these little pieces. And it's sometimes it's like they say herding cats. And I feel like that at times. But I've been able to do it without having the overhead that some of these larger companies in my, in my town have. Right. So you're not necessarily a mom, pa, but a pa and son. Yeah, pa and son. And, and it's been great. I mean, it's really, it, we've really grown together on this. And uh, he has really taken over. He's a lot smarter than me, for one thing. And he handles all this new technology and, you know, all this, you know, everything used to be tubes and wires and now it's cat fives and wireless. And he, he understands all that. So he's done well with that. And it will ease him into the revenue side of it because if you can't generate revenue, who, who cares if you've got a nicely wired, you know, that, that would look nice in the uh, bankruptcy sale thing is that, you know, for, for bankruptcy sale, a really nicely wired radio station. You know, I, I don't want to be that guy. So at some point, he's going to have to come around to learning how to generate revenue more. But um, so my challenge with a, with a small staff, I really need some help from the re- as most broadcasters, large or small. I need help with revenue development because right now it's pretty much I'm carrying the vast majority of that. And I can't continue doing that. No. So 
at this stage, um, you know, hiring salesperson would probably be a, a big next step for you and or getting your son a little bit more involved in that day to day as a key activity. I've had I've had salespeople over the five years I've had full time people and and good people. And just as it is, whether you've got one salespeople or 10 people, if you've got good people and you can't give them what they think they want, then they end up going somewhere else. And it's hard to compete as a small guy. You know, benefits and things like that are, are, you know, are non-existent here. Pretty much everything has to come out of pocket. And so I've had good people over the time, but it's finding the right person. And it does get frustrating because I've, in my career, I've probably hundreds of people I've seen that have been sale. I used to say, and I wish I would have done this, especially when I was at that other job. I wish I was at first thing, you know, give me your first business card out of your box. I wish I would have collected business cards from salespeople. I would have a big box full of people that I've known over the years but uh, but the challenge is finding salespeople. But, you know, Tom, I think that we also have an opportunity. And I've talked about this with a couple of colleagues that uh, as we are having to learn to do like you and I, you know, we're not face to face. We're doing this, you know, through technology. The sales process could very much change into things like this. And if you are good at this, then you could be in Montgomery, Alabama, selling ads in Dallas, Texas or Spokane, Washington or wherever. So there may be opportunities for that to come along. Uh, our newspaper here is a Gannett property, and they closed pretty much the whole operation, including the sales side of it. It comes out of a call center in another city. So um, if we are smart about these things, so as I'm looking, I'm not necessarily looking for the traditional person I've known over the years in sales. I'm looking for people who can work a little smarter and that maybe could actually you know, give us opportunities to do things in other places. Well, yeah, it is a, uh, a very interesting concept. In fact, Joe Schwartz was one of our uh, guests on the podcast, and he was talking about a very similar process. The key is, and what you're doing is obviously you're running a very uh, tight ship uh, financially. You know, you're not spending crazy money on equipment. You have translators that keeps the cost down from everything from utilities to maintenance, et cetera. Um, this technology does tend to uh, last a lot longer if you do take care of it. Um, and so, uh, but you're saying your product, your outfacing product, the radio station is, it's so important that that's still connecting. You know, we talk about a, a city the size of Montgomery. So many radio stations have gotten away from doing that local broadcasting, the high school games, uh, following those, that's your ability to connect um, and now the sales, however, can maybe be a step removed because you, what you really want is professionals who understand the value of radio and can communicate that. And in a world that we're living in currently, doing that via phone, email, and or video conferencing seems to be uh, maybe a, a good future step for radio. What we also have found here is if you were to look at my client list and the people who are on with me, I have very little churn. And we do what you would call not very little transactional. I have got, you know, I don't have the screaming car dealers on screaming at you, trying to get you down to the car lot this, this week. We've got people that are building relationships. So we have these branding packages that we pretty much where you're on all the time and your message is not a urgent sale, sale, sale. It's, it's looking at people that are moving in the process at different times. And so, you know, with that, um, I, I've, been successful with that. So with business, all our event driven business went away with COVID. March, everything, every, so we're in the, the, the religion business and we have 
concerts and things like that. That's all gone. You know, church announcements. There are no church announcements. You know, so all that's gone. All that's gone. But what we have are these people that that are, that are still with us with these branding packages that are real estate people or they're eye doctors or they're you know even retail driven people. It's just not so much price and items. So we've we've done okay through this because we we didn't rely solely on business that was so transactional that kind of churned each month. And that helps with what I do as being the chief seller is I'm not out trying to sell you a schedule. I'm trying to build a relationship that you're going to see the value of these people that listen to our station over here. And I'm just going to help you build a bridge over to these people. But we're going to, people say, well, how long is this contract for, for this branding thing? I said, there's three things. One is I die. Second one is you could die. And the third one is you tell me at the beginning of this month that you want me to end next month and it's over with. And I just use that loosely. And I would tell you that 80% of the people that I'm successful in getting this relationship with, they just stay with you. And, and you also fly under the radar because I'm not asking these big exorbitant you know, prices. I mean, my pricing is a lot lower on a commitment. So I've got customers that started with me in 2015 and even through COVID, you know, you kind of, you, you were afraid to make that call, but you made the call anyway, because you have the relationship and we've just sailed right on through it. So, well, and you're connecting to your clients, but also you have that niche uh, audience that we talked about. That's probably very loyal. They're very loyal. To your stations and to your station advertisers. And, and so the branding package then essentially becomes an annual that never ends. That's right. So we don't make it an annual because I've learned that too, because that was always a, I've done that for years. You have an annual. It's great. I walked in, I've got this annual. Well, guess what happens in 11 months? You got to go through it again. And so we don't give a, a date. You know, we're, we're out there. It's, it's more value versus price. You know, we're, we're driving the value instead of price. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, they have to cancel it, but they also. Yeah. They, they feel good about it. They, they say, okay, I'm, I'm okay. I'll commit to this. And they just never. Never do. Sometimes they do. But for the most part, I've got people that, you know, you have these relationships. And, and again, it goes back to I've been doing this for a while here. You know, you build a trust of people and it works. You know, if it wasn't working, they wouldn't keep on doing it. And, and so, you know, we probably don't have the time to talk about that. But, you know, the, the importance of creative and I've seen so much of that in, in, in my market and in other markets just go out the window as people have just started phoning it in and the creative you know, that's what happens. You know, let's say I've got 50 listeners and the other guy's got 5,000 listeners. If I could get half of my 50 to come in your store, you don't care about the other. You can't handle more than 25 people. You know, so it's the creative is what drives that. Yeah. So, the, well, let's go ahead and talk about that then. Now, do you write the ads? Is it a, a process you go through with your clients? Uh, how, how do you farm that out? What are you, what are you doing there? Probably a combination of all that. You know, you know, I. I, I try not to voice them because, you know, obviously I'm my voice is not going to ring someone's cash register, but I am on a few spots. So I, we, we've been, that we've been able to use that. You know, I've got some people that, that we've uh, done business with over the years that we we farm out our our voice work. I write a lot of them. Uh, there are other services you can go out there and, and use, but um, it, it, a lot of I involve the client. You know, I, I get them to, to to tell me stories uh, about, you know, people they help. People don't want to know all this, your hours and you've know, been in business for 50 years. Who cares? Tell me how you're going to help me. Tell me how you've helped somebody else. And so we have these conversations. And with this branding package, 
we may run an ad for two or three months without changing. We're not having to change it for the weekend sale. We're not having to change it for the grocery specials or whatever. You know, it's this message that's out there. But at the same time, we don't go for months without end without tweaking it or making some changes. And, you know, big believer in, in, um, in, in the idea of, of, of using multiple voices in a spot. It doesn't have to be of, you know, funny all the time, but, you know, have conversational stuff. Um, Jerry Lee in Philadelphia has great comments about s- testing his kind of stuff. I don't have the ability to test my ads, but I can look at things other people have tested, you know, and, and use ideas. So I, I write a lot of hours, but I, uh, I also am smart enough sometimes when the client wants to write their spot, I've got to be smart enough to say, you know, yeah, that's good, but, you know, and you have to stop them and say, you know, having your grandkid who's three and the radio ads, probably not the best thing to do. You know, it's so very valid what you're saying. I mean, we do not spend a lot of time of it uh, typically on our podcast here, uh, but the ads are just vital to the equation. Tom, the, ad, the ads are everything. I don't care if I'm a translator, if I'm a 100,000-watt station on the top of a 2,000-foot tower. The ad is everything. The ad is the only thing that we have because we're trying to influence consumer behavior. You know, I, I guess if we hit enough people enough times with enough stuff, you might sell something. But to be the, the work smarter, not harder, the ad is everything. It's got to be. And and so many times over my career, I've worked with people and done it myself where I'm just glad I got the order. I'll just rip out some copy and slap it on there and I'm on to the next person. And that doesn't work. And you end up churning people, it ends up not working. And the guy says, you know, I talked to a customer I picked up this past week, a new realtor company, said, hey, I tried something with one of these other companies in town, but you know what? I didn't like my ad and it didn't work. I'm like, well, let's talk. Why did it not work? Because it's not the station you were on. It's a creative. So we have got to spend time being more creative because we can't be the jukebox anymore. That's what you were talking about earlier about the, you know, uh, I don't know where the conversation was, but my thought on that was, you know, I can't out Pandora, Pandora. So I don't try to do that. I, it's the things I do in between it, and it's the things I do off the radio to, to, to build my cume or whatever by pressing the flesh with people. But creative is so important. If we, if we just throw things on there, uh, we're just not going to be as successful as we had been in the past. Well, no, I'm glad you did bring it up and uh, glad we dug a little deeper on it because w- that has come up on a number of our uh, conversations here on the podcast has been you know, it's not about the songs you're playing, but what you do in between the songs that matters. And uh, it's something that's uh, vitally important. And, it, you know, oftentimes, as you mentioned, gets lost when it comes to the commercial, right? Yeah, you're right. The AE, uh, maybe in some uh, market, has the job of securing that account and also producing that ad and writing it and also hitting a number. And so he's going to go, uh, I'll just, you know, go steal the newspaper ad or I'll copy a couple of stuff, uh, you know, words off of their website. And uh, that's our radio ad and, and we're open until 9 PM, you know, so the ad itself becomes so monotonous and it ends up being kind of working against you sometimes as well. So. And, and don't forget to throw in for all, all your, whatever needs <laughs> that, that always works for all your, whatever needs, you know, we, I, I don't need a lot of stuff. I want a lot of stuff. But I don't need it. So you have to tell me about the things that, and, and push my buttons on the things that I want. Paul Whelan says people buy things and then they justify it through pretzel logic. That's true. You're, you're pushing their emotions. They don't need it. 
they want it. They think they need it, but you know, I, I just think creative is, you know, we could spend all day on that. And, and I, and I don't spend as much time. I, I have to make sure I practice what I preach. Cause I, I will tell you, I, I sometimes you get in a hurry, but the, the things I'm most proud of is when you really have a really good ad. And if you have a really good ad and you can put it in front of the right people enough times, you're going to make the cash register ring. And then you get that customer and you'll have them for life. I used to tell myself my goal uh, in the salespeople is let's win a Mercury. Yeah. You know, you're, you're writing for a hundred thousand dollar prize and uh, you know, some people can and can't do that, but at the same time, if at least the effort goes a little bit step beyond um, then your normal, let's just, you know, it's like I said, copy the the newspaper ad and, and reprint it on the radio, read it on the radio, essentially, you're going to get a lot further. And I also liked your idea of asking your clients, your radio advertisers, how do you help people? And it's that answer that becomes the ad. I talked about it with an advertiser today and we're talking about, they wanted to put this, this, and this. I said, those are all good points, but they're all about you. Let's make it about your customer that you're trying to attack track. Let's, let's talk about what they want. So tell me stories about how you have helped people. Let's, 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 and I wish I had it because it would just be some copying off somebody else. And I've made a lifetime of finding things and clipping things out. Anything that you've heard today or none of that's original thoughts from Terry Barber. It's just things I've collected from people over the years. So I'm not, I'm not that. I'm just a good, you know, regurgitator of things. But I saw something today, but it was basically, it's telling a story through that person's eyes in a radio commercial, solving a problem. If you can solve somebody's problem, then they'll buy that product. Well, we're going to take a short break again, Terry, when we return to hear the rest of your cool radio story. I want to ask you about coronavirus and the way you and your community have adapted uh, to this crisis. I just want to take a short break to let you know about Arches Audio. This is a great new company that has some really great sounding music that you can license now for your radio station and or podcasting. For an annual contract of just $499, access to just a, a treasure trove of great sounds and music that you could use for underbeds of commercials, introductions to your podcast, etc. So I encourage you to check out Arches Audio. Arches is A-R-C-H-E-S, archesaudio.com. We're back listening to the cool radio story of Terry Barber. We uh, now have to go down that road. It's a crisis time in America. Terry, how uh, has coronavirus uh, impacted Montgomery, the radio stations, and, and all of your employees? Well, you know, it kind of came on quickly. I remember very vividly, uh, I have a friend in, um, in Massachusetts, Tom McAuliffe, and he sends me a, a My FM Shamrock. He's an Irish guy. He sends me his t-shirt and I remember having that one day on and the next thing everything was gone we just kind of closed it down real quickly corona was here we had to be careful and we had a small staff anyway so it wasn't that difficult to say lock it down because we had very few people anyway but we went through protocol and said you know let's be smart about this and make sure everybody's washing our hands and cleaning up after this and the other but we didn't we didn't slow down. We actually sped up because there were multiple press conferences. And that's another thing. We covered those. You know, we have a good television partner in town. So we basically just take their audio. But if it's in the middle of the day, you're not likely to be next to your television. So you have the radio station. So we picked up our coverage of that. Uh, like I mentioned all our events just kind of went away. And we didn't go anywhere for a long time. And then the 
food drive stuff. You know, we had commodities that would, would be handed out in the community and stuff. We said, we need to be out here. I will tell you this, it's just a quick aside. It took us about two months to realize that we missed the boat, but then we got it toward the end was we would have hundreds of cars lining up to get commodities. A lot of people in need, a lot of people needing things. And finally, one day I said, hey, why are all these bumper stickers sitting on the shelf over here? So <laughs> we had this like shooting fish in a barrel, as they say. We had all these cars lined up. So we went out there and, how you doing? Are you familiar with this station? Can we put a bumper sticker on your car? We put hundreds of bumper stickers out because we had all these things. We saw the opportunity out there, but it's been tough. It, it is. It, we've not been hit with with the the virus in our uh, in our little operation. Uh, we do ask people to temp themselves uh, and to be very careful. Uh, we had some you know shortages of supplies that we needed, but we ended up being okay with that. We've got some nasty smelling hand sanitizer. It reminds me of a bad night at the college bar, you know. So we ended up having, to, you know, the quality of stuff has not been good, but we've had it. Uh, but we're okay, you know. Um, business, I mentioned that it was tough, but we've been okay. Uh, just it gets in your ears, you know. You know, most everybody here has been very cautious. You think about not just people when they're working here. You're saying, you know, when they're not here, where are they? Who are they around? And uh, we just talk about it in our little small staff. So I mentioned I've only got one full-time employee, but I've got probably, you know, a dozen people who work in our little operation. So, oh, that's the other thing we did is we tried to make that small and we tried to say, okay, if you're tracking and you're coming in here, uh, we either got to get you set up at home or can you come in and track a couple of days at a time? And, and we cut down the number of occurrences of people walking through the front door. And we're still in that now. Alabama, we've got tremendous uh, cases of coronavirus. We've got lots of deaths and people I know and it's been hit, you know, people I'm familiar with have passed away or been sick and some have gotten better. And, and so it's, it's, it's a real thing around us. Uh, and, but uh, we were, uh, Montgomery about a month ago went under a, you have to wear a mask in, in public. And now Alabama earlier this week, the whole state went that way. And so that's, that's different. Uh, but we're, we're pushing through. And how did you find the business community respond to you and what you've been doing on the station? I think the thing that we had going for our advantage was that being local, I really didn't have a choice. You know, some of these big companies have got resources. They can pretty much put it on autopilot and your programming just appears and you, you people are doing, you, you don't have to be there. We have to be here for some of our stuff. So we never really were able, had that option and it started showing up. We started doing these news conferences and, and, and really working social media on stuff, not to, not to drive fear in any way, because we really were careful about that. We, we didn't want to over COVID the radio station because we started feeling like, and it varied per format, like the classic hits people, they really didn't want to hear it. They, I don't want to hear any more COVID stuff. I can get that other places. So we pulled all that stuff off that radio station. Our black gospel station, we were seeing a lot of people with the coronavirus or African-American. A lot of them were in our age group, so it was a big topic. We've stayed with that. We've stayed covering that. But uh, I think the businesses have responded. Uh, we had to find other, like I said, other categories. All the event stuff went away, but all the other categories, um, um, there, there are lots of opportunities out there. And this, uh, it's frustrating. You know, Tom and I, we've talked about our past and how we work with some of these big advertising buys were very large at times. And you see that some of those are going to come down. You hear about the census is going to buy this local radio stuff. And I go, you know, I'm never going to, I'm not going to get any of that. 
it's going to get filtered down to a, a, a local company, but a larger one or whatever. So the, the, the government cheese, so to speak, I'm not going to get it, so, but I'm going to get the crumbs that they drop. And so we're like the little yeah, church mouse indeed. trying to pick up all the crumbs. We're we happy to hear now. that uh, you're surviving and thriving and, and getting through it. Uh, you personally, Terry, thanks for sharing, you know, all the station sounds like you're a busy man. Um, you know, wearing a lot of hats there in the community and at the station. How do you keep yourself organized? What are some of your essential tools? You're, you're assuming that I am organized because I, <laughs> I, that's a bad mis, misstep there. I don't know. I, um, I'm old school on some stuff. You know, it's a to-do list. I, you know, I take a piece of scrap paper from the pile of scrap papers that we keep over here, fold it in half every afternoon and write me a to-do list for the next day and try to knock out as many things, prioritize them. You know, we've been through all the different classes. I use technology when I can. These Zoom things have been great. Uh, you know, um, I don't know. I, how, do I, how do I stay organized? I think it's just trying to stay ahead of it. I did start doing something. Uh, you know, the, the thing about the COVID thing, when we kind of shut down, I, I've always come to the radio station, usually six, sometimes seven days a week. I mean, that's probably a fault of mine right there, but there was less to do. So, you know, we pressure washed the parking lot and we painted the lobby and we did things like that. But we've been able to back up and say, you know, th these projects that when do we ever get time to do it, when we ever get around to it or whatever. Well, we got the chance to get around to it. So we've knocked some of those out. But one of the things that I, I asked some friends of mine, because I was really frustrated about feeling like I'm not getting a break or that I'm always working on the, the moment and not looking over the hill. I talked to some good friends of mine. And they said, you know what? I take Friday morning and I don't even go into the office and I work on my business. Somebody said, you can't work on your business when you're working in your business. And they're so true because you're caught up in the, hey, you got a minute or this fire, that fire. So I've started taking some time every week to purposely say, hey, wh wh what about this? What about down the road if we did this? Or what about this idea? And so that I think that that will pay off. But Staying organized, I don't know, Tom. I would not really call myself an organized individual. I got some nice piles, you know. Nice piles are nice and neat, but they're still piles nonetheless. Yeah, well, I mean, you're you it seems like you do a lot of organization by walking around, walking around, I town, do, and yeah, being yeah. around and saying, taking care of business. So, well, Terry, we do appreciate you sharing your cool radio story with us. It was indeed very cool and uh, appreciate it. Any closing comments you'd like to say to the radio world? I'm blessed. I'm very blessed. I, um, I, I worked for my manager at the TV station in Tupelo, Mississippi. It was a guy named Mark Ledbetter. And I still remember him. Uh, he would say that a person well-placed in life has trouble distinguishing between work and play. And, and I, I love this. I love this business. Uh, I get tired at times, as everyone does. But I've, it's been really good to me and my family. Uh, and now my son's working with me. So now maybe it's generationally, it will continue on. I'm very optimistic, um, that we will be fine. Uh, we may be doing different things in the future, but, uh, as long as we can help connect people and change consumer behavior, people will pay us for that. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, optimistic about where we're going from here. Well, thank you. And it does sound like you're living the dream. Uh, still able to do what you you know set out to do in February of 1979, um, February 10th, February 6 a.m. <laughs> Saturday morning, uh, and 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 made that a a lifelong commitment. And uh, 
you know, very good for you. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. And thanks again for sharing your cool radio story with us, Terry Barber. Well, those of you who listen to the podcast often know that we're not done here yet, as we always like to end the show with a little bit of digital wisdom. John Wanzung, President and CEO of Radio Max, uh, starts to dig into digital right now. It's time to dig into digital. Our segment on how you can use digital to unleash the power of your station. Here's our digital guide, John Wanzung, CEO of Radio Max. We asked John to tackle the question about content. What is the key content that should appear on any local radio station's website? Obviously, the news feeds are, I think, are hugely important, especially the local news feeds. And again, those can be RSS feeds. It's not like you've got to plug them in. You know, work with the local paper, work with whoever's got the, the feeds that you want to make sure that this content being talked about in your locale that's being presented on the website because you are part of that that local community and they're going to be looking to you for resources, especially if you're talking about the stuff on air. Weather, right? Same thing. Another RSS having make sure they got weather. And I know you we you know we talked about the DJs, but I think it's really important to have that staff bios. Um, on the, the website, you know, we're so connected to our local DJs and having that information about them just gets us even more connected with your station, with your personalities. Contesting, however you're doing your contents, do you, do you kind of have a, uh, a fan club or a rewards program? Having those. Also, the advertisers, making sure that your advertisers are well positioned on your website. Everyone that's on the air, you need to make sure that those are being promoted on your website. I'm hopefully that we're going to talk about this a little later when we talk about social media and using those on-air ads and social media. But I think there's also ways that you could, when you're putting up your advertiser, to put up an audio feed of the ad. If I've heard it once, I'm sure you have as well, Tom. How many times does a station get called and go, I heard an ad and I can't remember exactly what it was. And to be able to put that audio ad that you're already playing over the air on the website is going to create much more impact. People that want to hear the ad, they can go back and they can get the information as opposed to calling the station or moving on because they just can't remember. That's John Wanzung, CEO of Radiomax. For more on using digital to unleash the power of your station, visit radiomax.co. Well, we certainly do appreciate you listening to the Cool Radio Story podcast. I'm Tom Dobrez, owner of Cool Radio Streaming. Any of your online streaming needs with your audio product, whether to a radio app or just online with a player, we can take care of it. Look us up, coolradiostreaming.com. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. You've been listening to Cool Radio Stories, a production of Cool Radio Streaming. For more information, show notes, guest profiles, and more, visit CoolRadioStories.com and subscribe to the podcast at Apple iTunes, Overcast, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.